Today on Inside Telecom Careers, we're going to be taking a look at some of the initiatives that the Department of Veteran Affairs has implemented to help veterans in the wireless workforce. But first, a uh, word from our sponsors. Nexius, accelerating network and business transformation. Telecom Careers, the number one global telecom and wireless job board. TelecomCareers.com. Welcome back to another episode of Inside Telecom Careers. I'm Jeff Mucci, and today we're going to be talking about veteran affairs. But first, a couple big stories I think are worth talking about. Um, Huawei announced this week that they're going to train over 10,000 people to focus on uh, cloud. And last week in Shanghai at one of their events, they announced a, uh, a new cloud offering. Uh, it's important to note that Huawei has over 660 uh, data centers worldwide. They're projecting cloud revenue to be $2 billion in revenue this year, uh, growing to $10 billion by uh, 2020. Um, I think it, my interpretation of this or my insight on, on this issue is that they've got a little catch-up to do. Uh, my thoughts are Ericsson is uh, ahead of everyone in this category, having bought um, Telcordia years ago and they bought some other companies. In 2013, they actually hired a, a gentleman named Jason Hoffman uh, from Silicon Valley, who many perceive as a true rock star when it comes to cloud computing and, and really leveraging open source. He was the uh, co-founder and CTO of a company called Joyent, which was uh, uh, founded in 2004 and based 100% on open source code using uh, Node.js and Ruby on Rails. So um, they've got a true world leader, uh, they being Ericsson, uh, and they've been working on their cloud offering for a number of years, integrated with their BSS and OSS uh, services. Huawei comes out announcing uh, they're going to train 10,000 uh, cloud engineers over the next couple of years. Um, uh, I think they do have some catching up to do, but I think they're going to move very quickly in this area. So that's some of the big news from uh, uh, from Huawei this week. Uh, other big news this week in, in the workforce, um, U.S. firms are continuing to tout diversity. Um, uh, Verizon, for example, has hired a couple of uh, folks uh, who are uh, Hispanics, and, and many tech firms are actually focusing on Hispanics. Um, They've got a new head of, multi they being Verizon has a new head of multicultural marketing and their new chief marketing officer is uh, Hispanic. So two big stories, um, uh, I think affecting the wireless workforce this week. Um, let's move on to uh, uh, really the heart of today's discussion, which is about veteran affairs. And we have been uh, hosting a number of programs that really are based on the Wireless Infrastructure Association holding a wireless workforce panel in the spring. Today we have Rosie Cloud, who is um, Senior Advisor for Veteran Employment at the Department of Veteran Affairs. Um, we've got a series of clips today we're going to highlight talking about what that program is all about. First, let's take a clip from um, uh, the wireless workforce panel earlier this year. They don't want to come into an industry where they've got, you know, it's a one-year type of thing and there's nowhere to go. They want to know how I'm measured, how I can perform, how can I advance, and what do I need to get there? And I think that's one of the things we've done. So anyhow, it makes a great point. I mean, the, the national picture on veterans, if you will, is, is, is pretty straightforward. We have about 250,000 veterans leaving the Department of Defense. That number stays constant, peacetime, and wartime. So if you're looking at a steady pipeline of talented individuals, then on a national level, about 90% of Americans are actually eligible to join the military. The number one 
uh, basically disqualifying factor is frankly the physical attributes that are required to sustain the kind of endurance and commitment to the military. So you were looking at individuals who are not only fit, motivated, kinetic, trained, um, from again, from a national picture, by far, uh, this generation has received some of the best training uh, of all uh, wartime type of forces. And so you have a generation who, once they connect to employment, regardless of industry, regardless of their age, they outperform the general population almost immediately when it comes to economic outcomes. And that's because of what I call... Uh, one of the key points that Rosie mentioned in that clip was the grit factor, so I want to play another clip that goes a little bit more detail about what she means by the grit factor. You know, we talk a lot about grit and that the men and women uh, leaving uh, the military are ready to serve. You know, these are folks that have worked in oftentimes daunting environments. They're used to fast-paced change, imperfect information, and working hard to make things happen. These are the doers of our country. Uh, that's why we've called on them to kind of take on some of our biggest challenges. And that grit, that grit and that energy, that proven leadership skill is something that becomes very valuable when they return home and enter the private sector again. Uh, it, is, it is something that can be practiced and, 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 and worked on, you know, through very kinetic types of environments. And so our nation's veterans are coming home and they're gritty, they're motivated, and they're eager to contribute. Well, I thought that was a great clip from uh, Rosie. I think she says what we all believe, and that is uh, veterans are ready to work. Uh, they do possess uh, proven leadership skills. They are capable of working in uncertain and flexible environments, and uh, I think that's particularly important in the, in the telecom and wireless world. And uh, this program with the wireless workforce is really based upon training tower climbers. And when you look at um, uh, what the tower climbers have to deal with every day, it, it is not a perfect uh, situation. It, uh, carriers and the system integrators do their best job to audit a site, order the materials, ship the materials to the site, and inevitably, the tower climbers show up and uh, things aren't exactly like the audit said, or sometimes the bill of materials that get shipped out to the site aren't exactly perfect. So um, uh, tower climbers are oft often required to be adaptive and flexible and creative uh, in terms of how they um, do modifications and upgrades uh, to sites. Um, one of the other things I think was really interesting is Rosie mentioned there's 240,000 veterans that exit the military each year. Think about that for a minute. 240,000 veterans that are ready to work, and uh, there's a big gap um, that the Veteran Affairs is trying to fill along with Kelly Dunn and some other folks. But let's listen to this clip uh, talking about the gap. So we want to make sure that we support closing that sourcing gap by doing a couple of things. One, releasing good data about our veterans so that employers are familiar with where veterans want to live, where they want to work, what industries, how to connect to them. Uh, one of the major gaps that we've closed is the finding a veteran gap or veterans finding employers who are interested in sourcing veterans. And so we developed an online tool uh, in partnership with the Department of Labor and the Department of Defense called the Veterans Employment Center. And that tool allows for veterans to connect to the millions of vacancies across America and for employers to go data mine and find veterans in their local community who are interested in joining their ranks. Well, essentially, in my opinion, you have, you have two gaps. You have a supply and demand gap. On the supply side, you have 240,000 veterans each year exiting the military. Um, 
the best laid plans oftentimes don't really work that well. They, they simply don't know how to transition into the workforce. They're, they end up going through recruiters or other programs to, to, to set up interviews. And uh, oftentimes uh, companies are looking for very specific experiences versus skill sets or behavioral skills. So you got the supply side trying to enter the workforce. On the demand side, you have employers that need people. So several years ago when AT&T and Verizon were deploying their LTE macro networks, we had an extreme shortage of tower climbers. The problem was the system integrators and the carriers didn't know how to recruit for military bases and didn't really understand the process of of veterans exiting the military. So I think what uh, PCI and Nate and uh, Veteran Affairs and what Kelly's doing with uh, Warriors for Wireless, they're, they're closing that gap through a number of initiatives, uh, which are certainly going in the right direction. And uh, we're going to talk a bit more about that later in the show. But uh, one of the things Rosie mentions is they've created uh, the, the Veteran Affairs has created this database where employers can put jobs up there and then veterans can search that uh, database. The challenge there is uh, the data is the database is only as good as the information in there and getting employers to take the time to post jobs to one more database in addition to the monsters and the career builders and the indeeds just takes time. The second uh, challenge is educating veterans that the database exists. So you got a two-sided uh, challenge. You know, from my own uh, personal experience, uh, uh, one of the men I worked for years ago, his son has been a 20-year veteran, uh, a ranger uh, in the military, and he referred me a, a young man who was a West Point grad, played football in West, at West Point, did two or three tours of duty in Afghanistan. He was married with two children. He was going through the transition program, and he was reaching out, networking uh, with people he knew, but the resources, and based on his comments, the resources that were avail available to him at the base camp or in the market simply really weren't sufficient to help him get plugged into the opportunities. Fortunately, he did uh, connect with a recruiter who placed him with an oilfield service company. Um, I've, obviously today the, the oilfield market is going through some challenges, so uh, he's looking at uh, you know where he goes from here. But uh, I think the, the net net of it is the Veteran Affairs doing some good things. The database is only as good as the data going into it and the education that uh, uh, folks actually provide. Um, finally, on that last clip, uh, you know, we've saw, we saw Kelly Dunn, and, and we've talked to Ke Kelly Dunn in the past, but I also want to uh, get Rosie's point of view on the wireless, Warriors for Wireless program. So watch, uh, let's watch that other clip. So Kelly Dunn has done an amazing program. Uh, he has really coalesced the wireless industry. He entered into a formal public-private partnership with us, which really allows for veterans who are eager to go into the wireless industry to pass a certain amount of kinetic on-site training, uh, provide, get that training uh, pretty much um, in preparation to job placement. They're able to have hands-on uh, education, but also kinetic experience basically as green hands or on towers. And then it's, it's allow, it allows them to be able to um, transition into a meaningful career upon graduation. I think Kelly has done an absolutely amazing job pulling all these resources to bear. And what I mean by that is getting PCI involved in veteran initiatives, getting Nate involved in veteran initiatives, getting the Department of Labor involved, getting the White House involved, um, uh, 
creating a roadmap, and what I mean by that is a career roadmap, so that when a veteran is looking at a career in wireless, they actually can see a clear roadmap. You, you got to remember, uh, veterans are disciplined, and they 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 do plan, and they want to understand if they take a job as a tower climber or a project manager or a field tech. Where is that going to lead? And that was something that was truly lacking in the wireless industry, particularly in the wireless workforce industry. So Kelly has been a driving force. Uh, Kelly has been a leader his entire career. He really was a spark that um, brought these parties together and uh, really drove this roadmap, drove the parties together, and more importantly is starting to, to lay out a plan, uh, what I call rungs up the ladder, so that a veteran can see what a career in, in um, in the wireless industry would look like. Um, one of the final things that Kelly's been talking about is really forging um, a program where during the six month transition period where the government is actually paying for a veteran to look for a new job, uh, Kelly's program injects itself at the beginning of that six month period to make sure that there is a training program in place and the um, um, the uh, system integrator, for example, a Mostech or um, NBNC, they're actually uh, having this gentleman work without having to pay for them uh, or woman work without having to pay the, the salary because the government's paying that salary. So at the end of the six-month period, they're trained, they're certified, they spent time on the tower, and they're ready to work. So I think that's uh, just another example of some of the work that Kelly's done. And uh, without him, I don't think these programs would have, uh, you know, come together. Um, Kind of in a, in, a, in, a, in a nutshell, what speaks to me is that uh, you have 240,000 vets that are entering the mark, uh, marketplace. It's a huge number of qualified folks, and uh, you know, we, we as an industry continue to need to do a better job streamlining these folks and, and making them feel productive as soon as they exit the, the military. Um, let's go back to Rosie Cloud for a minute. We've got one more clip that's going to talk about her qualifications and uh, what makes her particularly qualified to help lead the Veteran Affairs Program. So my role at the Department of Veterans Affairs is to make sure that every transitioning service member receives the best information and education so that they can fulfill their lifelong goals of pursuing a meaningful career. It's to work with the private sector and with industries such as the wireless industry to make sure that they have a smooth, fast, and easy experience in looking and finding and connecting to our nation's veterans. And it's ensuring that as we work with community partners uh, and uh, in states across the country that they're familiar with all of the leading tools and benefits available to them in their quest to source veterans into their industries. You know, Rosie and others involved in these veteran programs uh, really have a tough job because it is, you're dealing with uh, hundreds of thousands of people, you're dealing with lots of employees, uh, employers that don't know uh, necessarily how to connect with the military. Um, but I think one of the important takeaways here is that anything we can do as an industry to help veterans transition as quickly as possible uh, to the private sector in a productive way is, is, is it has personal consequences. And um, one of the negative consequences of not being able to transition veterans into the, the workforce is uh, the suicide rate. I did some uh, research before the show and there are reports that say up to 22 veterans a day commit suicide. There are also um, other studies that show this number is only one a day. But even one a day, that's over 300 people a year committing suicide. And one of the root causes is 
the feeling of non-productivity, the, the lack of purpose. And so when you look at all the programs that Kelly and Rosie and others have put together, it is giving folks uh, during that six month transition period a roadmap for their career, uh, quickly assimilating them into the, the workforce so it gives them a, a sense of purpose. And uh, I just applaud everything that the industry is doing and what Rosie's doing. And I do wanna go back and actually show one more clip uh, about Rosie um, because it does shed some light on her particular skill sets that uh, prepare her for that role. So let's ro roll this final clip. You know, I think of my life has been a bit of a layering effect, to be honest. I started out uh, very young as, a, as an army wife uh, and had to learn uh, a new culture and a new, you know, environment. I had heard, obviously, a lot about military culture through family members that had also served. Uh, but, you know, it, it was really an opportunity uh, when I came into the federal government to start off in social services, direct services, community-based work, understanding garrison management, working in policy areas such as with OMB, uh, being able to learn about uh, what the interagency space looked like, uh, process improvement and business transformation, all of those skill sets really roll up into an opportunity to, pre to continue to add value now at the Department of Veterans Affairs. I, I don't think that is unlike many of our young men and women uh, across the country, both who have served and not served, that are looking to kind of thread together all of their experiences and training into an opportunity to add value. And so in my case, I've been able to add value uh, here as a public servant of the Department of Veterans Affairs. Um, and, and hope to continue to do so. Uh, dedicated education and training, they are able to pursue higher education. But for many of our nation's veterans, uh, they are eager to go into middle skill, credentialing or license or very specific trade programs. And, and that's where registered apprenticeships play a very important role. And so the GI Bill allows for uh, a, an employer with a registered apprenticeship to provide the opportunity for a veteran to leverage their GI Bill. And that GI Bill becomes uh, kind of an augmented salary for that individual in that they receive their living stipend allowance of the GI Bill on top of their salary for a registered apprenticeship. So being able to leverage your post 9-11 GI Bill for, through a registered apprenticeship program allows employers to potentially connect to seasoned, high-quality talent they might not otherwise be able to access, and it allows veterans to have not only a more stable transition, but a little bit more time to learn a new trade, learn a new career, simply because of the ability to have that financial stability and pay parity during that transition period. So there's a couple key points I want to end with. Number one, talking about Rosie's experience. Number two, I'm going to go a little bit more into my thoughts on the GI Bill. First with Rosie, um, I didn't know that she was actually uh, an Army wife. So, um, you know, spending time on a base, dealing with uh, veteran and veteran families, um, I think is very important because it's a, provided her a grassroots understanding of some of the uh, professional and personal problems that are pervasive in not mainstreaming veterans when they leave the military. And uh, I think one of the problems we have today is you have too many politicians who are trying to make laws or, or pass uh, bills to help veterans, but they really have never walked in their shoes. So I think the fact that Rosie has walked in the shoes of a uh, family um, associated with a, a veteran is critically important. I'm sure that lends itself more than the bureaucratic experience she, she's gained since then, but uh, I wish um, more politicians had that grassroots experience. Uh, secondly, you heard um, Rosie talk about the GI Bill. So um, I did a little homework on, on the GI Bill, and for those who, of you who may not really understand it, uh, in 
on June 22nd, 1944, the government passed what was called the Servicemen's Readjustment Act, and it was signed into law by President Roosevelt. Uh, it was informally called the GI Bill, and it was a, a law that provided a range of benefits for returning veterans, and some of those uh, benefits were you know, paying for education, uh, low-cost mortgages, uh, cash payments to cover living expenses while you're in school. And then uh, in the original bill, there was actually one year of unemployment compensation. So you think about that, for example, in World War II, we had um, uh, many Americans go fight in Europe and, 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 and Asia Pacific. They came back and the, the government took care of them. Low-cost mortgages, uh, paying to go to college, um, a year's worth of unemployment. Uh, and you compare and contrast that with today, you've got veterans that are coming out of the Iraqi and Afghanistan war that are truly struggling. And so I go back to applauding the industry and Department of Labor and Veteran Affairs for putting together these, these programs to help uh, folks mainstream more quickly. Uh, I do have another stat here. Uh, uh, by 1956, uh, it's been reported that roughly 2.2 million veterans had used that GI Bill uh, to attend colleges and universities, and an additional 5.6 million used benefits of some kind uh, for training. And um, I think most historians and economists would agree that the GI Bill that was passed in 1944 uh, fundamentally was a success, but in my opinion, it really set in motion the Industrial Revolution of, of America. And uh, uh, some great corporations were, were built by World War II veterans. And um, early in my career, I had a chance to go to Omaha, Nebraska, and attend a Chamber of Commerce Hall of Fame dinner. And at first, when I got the ticket, I was working for what became uh, was Metropolitan Fiber Systems at the time that was headquartered in Omaha with, you, know, you had Warren Buffett, Walter Scott, and Jim Crow. And I was in a meeting where they, 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 somebody had an extra ticket to attend this Hall of Fame. And the last thing I wanted to do was go to a chamber dinner and eat chicken and rice uh, and listen to a, a, a Hall of Fame dinner. But what happened that night to me was transformational. There were over a thousand people in the room and they had big screens on each side and they inducted four or five people into the Omaha Chamber Hall of Fame. And it was story after story of veteran coming back from World War II, married with children, using the GI Bill to um, um, uh, get an education, using the benefits of the GI Bill to buy a house, and then going on to form some of the truly great companies uh, that Omaha uh, hosts today. So um, uh, I think what's not happening today is you've got veterans coming out of the Iraqi war, the Afghanistan war. We've got 240,000 veterans exiting the military every year, and we simply are not getting the same support for those guys. Uh, but this uh, a wireless workforce initiative by PCI and others, the Veteran Affairs, I think they're, they're going a long way to uh, provide the support that's needed. And I guess my final closing point here, if you've been watching the GOP debate debates, you've got Lord knows how many uh, candidates up there. They had an A team and a B team debate. Uh, what would be nice to see is the next generation of leaders in this country be veterans. So uh, let's, let's knock on wood and keep our eyes open for uh, veterans that are coming out of the military now, moving into the wireless workforce, and going on uh, to leadership roles in this country. So many thanks for joining us this week. Next week we're going to be out in Silicon Valley at the Telecom Council TC3 event. It's about carriers and innovation. Carla and I will be there broadcasting live from Silicon Valley. Thanks for joining us this week. Inside Telecom Careers is a production of RCR-TV News. 
To reach Jeff Mucci or to suggest a show topic for Inside Telecom Careers, you can reach him at jmucci at rcrwireless.com. For all telecom-related news and information, please visit rcrwireless.com. To connect with the industry's top talent, please visit telecomcareers.net.